Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Travel and Tourism Podcast, my first season. I had the supreme pleasure of working with my guest today, my second time in Columbus Isle during the 97-98 season. Her first season was in Club Med Sonora Bay in 1997 as a fitness and line sports geo. She only worked at those two Club Meds, but boy oh boy did she get busy after Club Med. In 1999, she became a certified scuba instructor and her master instructor was none other than Wayne Hassan, founder of the Aggressor Fleet and who was also known as the father of liveaboard diving. Before Clement, she got her bachelor's degree in 1996 in creative writing, and between her junior and senior year, she went to Clement Bay as a GM, where she made many friends there and fell in love with the culture. In 2005, she got her law degree from Case Western Reserve University, and she was second in her class of over 200, and she graduated summa cum laude. For those that do not speak Latin, summa cum laude is the highest of the three Latin honors that may be bestowed upon students earning a bachelor's degree. After law school, she worked for Squire, Sanders, and McDreamy, God darn it. She worked for Squire, Sanders, and Dempsey, and is currently a lawyer at Procter & Gamble. She is from Columbus, Ohio, but now lives in Toronto, Ontario, and we'll be beginning into all of that and more. She has one dog, three cats, despite being allergic to cats. Why would someone own cats who is allergic to cats? Well, as my guest puts it, because they are so fluffy. They're so fluffy. Please help me welcome to my first season, the amazing Kimberly Eberwine. Kimberly, how are you? I'm well, thank you so much, Greg. How are you doing? Good, good. This is awesome. Thank you for saying yes to me when I reached out to you. That was very kind of you. Of course. It wasn't just yes. It was, oh my God, yes. <laughs> wow. I never haven't got that reaction since I left Club Med. So thank you. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, heck of an intro. So, you know, we like to take it back a bit. But so while you were doing your creative writing degree, you went to Club Med. Now, did that can't be where you first uh, heard about Club Med. So I'm just curious, did you see it like an ad on TV or did the travel agent propose to you Club Med? How, how did that happen? Actually, my aunt was a travel agent at the time and I wanted to go on a vacation. I just needed to get away and I wanted to go someplace by myself. And so I reached out to her and she suggested Club Med as being a good option because it was both fun and it was a safe place for a single female to travel on her own because it was so contained and because everything was right there, you know, I wouldn't have to take taxis to go around in an unfamiliar city. I think she was probably being a little bit overly protective and she might not have fully understood the club culture herself, but it was wonderful. She sent me a brochure because this was back in the olden days of paper brochures and I picked Sonora Bay as the village where I would go. And do you recall uh, going there, like meeting some people? Like, I, I know you say you think Mike Coltman was the chief of village, but do you recall um, meeting GOs? Or did you ever see these GOs later on? Uh, yeah, I met a lot of GOs. I kept in touch for a little while with some of them. And actually, one of the GOs that I became friends with was um, Lauren Becker, who was subsequently at Playa Blanca. And I went to visit Lauren down there. And that was actually the transformational moment when I decided that I wanted to actually work for Club Med and I was going to make this happen. And then I I turned down a job offer that I was supposed to have started maybe a week or so later in Cleveland. I called and left a voicemail for my future boss saying that I did not intend to move to Cleveland. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I wasn't going to do that. Now, did you have this transformational moment in Playa because you saw me there as land sports? <laughs> okay. Okay. So listen, yeah, so, yeah. So during research listeners, we realized that Kimberly was there at the exact same time I was there as uh, as land sports. So it's such a small village. We obviously would have seen each other, maybe not talked to each other because, you know, I, I probably, I, you know, had a girlfriend there, you know, like I'm, I'm a dummy. When I go to singles villages, I get a girlfriend. When I go to non-singles villages, <laughs> I'm single. So I always do it in reverse. So yeah, but we <laughs> undoubtedly saw each other because it's, you know, that's what was great about that village, right? It was all centralized. Yeah, you know, very small. A lot of people, you know. Yeah. I didn't do a lot of activities. I, I basically spent my time on the beach or, you know, hanging out uh, at the bar. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they they uh, Nancy would clang that cowbell at five mm-hmm. and bring everybody in, you know, to the happy hour, which is uh, yeah, mm-hmm. no, I uh, and the disco. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What a great little village, and it, was, uh, it really was. It was gorgeous, oh, and and there was the incentive once you came out of your room to not go back to your room because it was quite a hike back up 
those stairs to your room. Yes. So, especially yeah. if you were, you might agree, a bit tipsy, right, uh, on, on the way home <laughs> exactly. from the disco. But that, exactly. yeah, that that team was uh, one of one of my favorites because it spawned like three chief of villages, three chief of sports. You know, it, uh, chief of animation was such a you know majorly talented team. So I'm glad you it got really to go was. there at that yeah. time. All right. Yeah. So and then you, I guess you go back, you finish your degree in creative writing, right? Right. So after I was at Sonora as a GM, I finished my degree in creative writing. And then I went to work for another hotel. I mean, I did a bunch of things, but I went to work for another hotel chain in Columbus, Ohio. I kind of didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up and took a job offer in Cleveland, Ohio for corporate sales. And the irony of all of this is that there are places that I, I had job offers or opportunities and then elected not to go. And the fates still pulled me there at some point. Cleveland is one of those cities. So I was supposed to go take this corporate sales job in Cleveland. And I said, okay, great. How about before I move to the snow Mageddon city that Cleveland is, I'm going to go and visit my friend who's down in Playa. And I, I was supposed to be there for about a week. And I got down there and maybe three or four days in, I decided I do not want to go to Cleveland. Um, I'm not going to, to make that move. I called, tried to get the guy on the phone. I couldn't get him on the phone. So finally left a voicemail. And I think I spent another week and a half, maybe two weeks at Playa. Then I went to Puerto Vallarta for a week. And that was when my parents said, okay, that's great. You can do whatever you want, but you do need to come home and move out of your apartment. You've given up your apartment. They're going to put your stuff into storage or on the curb. So I went home on a Monday. I sent a fax of all things down to Sonora Bay. I looked up their fax number in the brochure that I still had. I sent a fax to the village, to the chief of village, didn't know who it was at the time. I said, here are all the things that I can do. I would love to come down and work. And if you're interested, send me an email. I think I had an email address, but I also had a fax number. Um, I got a fax back that day and by the next day, we had kind of negotiated that I would go down on Friday. And so I got back on Monday and was gone on Friday to Sonora. Okay. It was that quick. Okay, excuse me one second. So did you not know that you didn't obviously go through the proper channels? So did you not know that's how it was done? Did you just assume I could just fax this village and I'm going to get in like that? And, and, and this actually happened like you were hired that way. But is it because you did not know the, the actual I, I was aware that there was a process. <laughs> I okay. mean, I mean, I mean, I'm sure at some point I knew, but I also had been taught that when you want something, you go directly to the decision maker, which is actually something that has served me rather well in my legal career as well. Right. Well, but yes. you know, you can go through the system and you absolutely should go through the system. That is the right way to do things. But I figured it couldn't hurt to send this fax and see what the decision maker, i.e. Alain Blanc said, and uh, it worked. Okay. Now, what do you remember about arriving that first week at all? Is it, is it, is it blurry, hazy, or do you remember mostly everything about that first week you arrived? There are certain things that stand out. For example, I don't remember who picked me up. I, I would assume it was probably Ludo who was responsible for such matters, but I don't remember who picked me up. I don't really remember much about my arrival there. And I met my roommate, Nadia. She was a horseback geo and was pretty quickly thrown in because arriving on a Friday, you know, it was the end of one group's week. And the next day was obviously Saturday departures and arrivals. And so I was pretty quickly thrown into the departure schedule and, you know, then the arrival schedule and things like that. And then the sports introduction. So I actually don't remember meeting a lot of people. It was a lot of people to meet. I am one person. They were, you know, however many a team, 160 or whatever it was, geos. And so it took me a little while to get my 
bearings and get my feet under me, right? To figure out who was who. And the other thing I have to confess, Greg, I am terrible with names. I cannot remember people's names for the life of me. I try all of the little tricks. Usually what it is is I make up a little nickname inside my head for people. And that's how I remember kind of who they are. But it took me a little while to not only meet people, but then to actually remember their names. And I'm pretty sure I went at least a couple of weeks referring to people as just, hey, kitten, or what's up, chief? <laughs> you know, and is, and is that because you didn't want to look like you were looking at their badge to, even though you had spoken to them 60 times already and you kept, I guess you were happy that we had badges, right? Because <laughs> Well, we had badges, but one of the things about Sonora that I remember compared to Columbus Isle, people didn't wear their badges as reliably in yes. Sonora. A lot of times people were shirtless or yes, exactly. wearing a tank top or a bathing suit and it was not easy to attach the badges on, things like that. So the I couldn't count on the badge being there. Yeah. Okay, so you just gave everyone nicknames in your head, right? <laughs> yeah, basically, or I just didn't address them. I mean, I had been okay. scarred from a moment in undergrad where a girl that I had hung out with a thousand times, I saw her on campus and gave her a very enthusiastic greeting and probably a hug because I'm a hugger and called her by the wrong name. And okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I learned my lesson several years before when in doubt, just be quiet. Well, my go-to is, hey, you, okay, always <laughs> seems to work. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, I guess you got into, I mentioned in your intro, you you got certified as an instructor, but I think you started doing your open water in Sonora Bay. Is that correct? I did. That's right. My dive instructor was one of the, the scuba geos there, Byron Watts, who ended up being my spouse. I married him. I think that that might have been one of his ways in, so to speak, with me. But he walked me through the open water course. We did the pool work at night after rehearsals. So he wasn't actually in any shows. I don't know how he managed to do that. I think it's a point of pride for him that he wasn't. But he was never in the shows. And so he would stay up to do the pool work with me in bits and pieces at one or two in the morning. And then we did my open water dives on the one morning and the two afternoons that I had off the whole season that I was there. This was back before geos regularly got time off. Um, and especially a land sports or fitness geo, I'm sure you remember. It's, it's a constant everyday job. There's something to do. And there's not necessarily a backup. Um, so, so that was how I did my open water at Sonora. And if I recall, that pool in Sonora is not heated. So if you're doing two in the morning, were you guys in dry suits or what? <laughs> no. Well, so the pool in Sonora is not heated. But in July, August and September, I mean, the water in the pool is quite warm. It was okay. in the night. It was in the, the 80s or 90s. I mean, the seawater, the Sea of Cortez gets very warm as well. But the pool water was really, really warm. It was almost bordering on a, a cool hot tub, if that makes any sense. Yes. And you, you had two kind of minor, well, maybe not minor, but you had two things happen to you that has never happened to me in my, whatever, <laughs> 20 years of diving. So if you could tell me what happened with your, your, regu your regulator on your- uh, Oh my gosh, indeed. It was, um, it was crazy. And both of these incidents happening back to back kind of made me and Byron say, if we can get through that and I still wanna get back in the water, then at some point I have to keep going and maybe get my instructors. So the first open water dive, so these were the morning dives. First one, my first stage regulator sprung a leak and my tank started hemorrhaging air. And so it was actually at the safety stop when this occurred and Byron very quickly gave me his octopus. I mean, it was a great test of skills uh, I actually asked him whether that was intentional. And he said, no, no, that's not supposed to happen. This is not um, part of your exam. Like, <laughs> not part of the test. Okay. Okay. And um, so he gave me his octopus. We completed the safety stop. And then we buddy ascended with me, you know, breathing off of his tank using his, his octo. And then the second dive went really without any incident until I ascended after the safety stop into a Portuguese man-of-war, which were fairly common in the Sea of Cortez. 
And um, so I ascended right into it. And basically the body of the jellyfish was on my tank valve. And so as I finned backwards towards the boat, this Portuguese man of war just gave me a very big full body hug all the way down into my fins. So my arms, my sides, my legs, and all the way into my, my pull on fins. And all I knew was I felt this searing pain and it, I it was kind of, you know, giving Byron like, Oh, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's wrong. Um, and he's what's wrong. He comes over and he takes his right out. What's going on? I said, well, I don't, I don't know. It just hurts. It hurts. And he looked and he saw that it was a man of war and he started splashing to try to get it off of me. But by that time, it had pretty well seared itself into my skin. Excuse me, Kimberly. Yeah, just <laughs> were you wearing a wetsuit or not? No, no. Oh, the God, water God. was so warm. I had no, yeah. I had no skin protection on. It was yeah. me in my bikini. That was it. Yeah. No, I know. I know the. Yeah, I'm, I'm next to a scorpion sting. Like I've been stung by. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's horrible. So I was hoping you were in a, a wetsuit. Uh, <laughs> no. No, you were not. not. Okay. <laughs> no, I was not. Uh, it was me and probably one of my cute swimsuits, not my functional swimsuits. So it was really minimal <laughs> skin protection. Wait, and could you just wait, wait, just a sec. Could you describe? Like, I never heard the cute versus functional. Um, what does that well, mean? Well, okay. So I was a fitness instructor, right? So I had yes. the functional bathing suits, oh, oh, which okay. were slightly more coverage on the bottom and they were bordering on a sports bra on top. Okay. And then I had my cute swimsuits, which were little string bikinis or, or those small little triangle bikini type of things. Okay. Um, yeah. Wow. So I, I was wearing that and, but it seared itself into my skin. And so Byron, it, he couldn't get it off by splashing. So he used his bare hands to pull the tentacles off of my skin and to clear the jellyfish. And as a result, obviously he was stung quite badly himself on his hands and his forearms. And he got some of the tentacles up into, you know, his towards his underarms because he also wasn't wearing any, any skin protection. And he had stings up towards his lymph glands, which gave him what we called the zaps for a few days after that, he would get these kind of sudden shocks. Um, we both smelled like vinegar for quite a while, but, you know, I actually had what looked like you know, if somebody had just scratched your skin with shark nails, like I had that all over my body, he was able to take a couple of days off because they didn't want him diving if he was injured. Uh, as a land sports and fitness geo, though, basically, I just went back to work <laughs> and I did my job. But, you know, looking like I was scratched up and smelling like salad dressing from all the vinegar that we had to constantly pour on ourselves to try to neutralize the pain of the stings. Well, yeah. when it just, when it just happened, since he pulled it off you and got stung, stung in his hands, did you offer to urinate in his hands? <laughs> we did joke about that on the boat, but I didn't oh, okay. <laughs> No, Nobody, there was no uh, urination on okay. anybody uh, <laughs> yes, either I, way. But the okay. funny thing was, so that was actually while my parents were visiting. And so my parents were on the boat for both of these instances. Oh, Byron and I were not together at the time. And my mother absolutely fell in love with him in that moment, right? She was like, this man, like he saved your life on the first dive, which I think is a little bit of hyperbole, right? She said, he saved your life. <laughs> and then the second time, you know, with his bare hands, he ripped the jellyfish off of you. And how could you not be with this person? And, you know, my mother always got her way eventually. So you know, obviously, eventually, <laughs> we got together. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's yeah. a pretty eventful season so far you had there. So, it was quite dramatic. It was quite dramatic. Do you, do you recall who your chief of sports was? Olivier Perez. Okay. He was wonderful. All right. Uh, am I missing any other stories from Sonora? I don't want to leave any any, any other <laughs> out. Oh, my it? gosh. There are so many stories from Sonora, but I, I have to say that I absolutely loved that village. I think that the team was phenomenal. I really enjoyed working with Olivier and with Alain. And, you know, the job as land sports and fitness instructor is one of the most social 
I think, in the village, right? You're around everybody who's not on the boats. And I, I really just, I loved it. There, you know, one of the funnier things, like when I think of the stories that I tell from Sonora, one of the ones, it's a phrase that I actually still use is the concept of French mass. And I was still maybe like a week or two in to my time there. And we had the Olympics, right? You, we'd have the weekly Olympics where you split the village up into a red team or a white team or blue and a white team. And there was the big board outside the restaurant with the scores from the various activities. And, you know, I was walking past and I saw Olivier kind of erasing scores and writing new scores up and retotaling the scores at the bottom. And it happened to be a week when one of the teams was just blowing the other team out of the water, right? And so I was like, what are you doing? You know, that's, you're changing the scores. And he said, oh, well, it's French math. And I said, what do you mean French math? He's like, well, we need it to be close. We need it to be close for the beer chug. Otherwise nobody will care about it. So we do the French math. We start with the answer and then we find the numbers in between that match it. <laughs> And so, you know, whenever I see math that doesn't make sense to me or where people are starting with the answer and working their way backwards and contorting the facts to fit the answer that they want to get, I joke and then, of course, have to explain why. You know, I, I don't want you doing French math. I, I need you to do real math. <laughs> I need you to tell me the actual facts and I need to get to the real answer, not the answer that you're trying to drive to. So whether he knows it or not, that one little offhanded comment has filtered its way into legal advice and into how I parent with my child, right? You know, don't do French math. I want you to do real math. <laughs> and, and it appears when you, when you left Sonora, you did that old classic rite of passage for a first season geo. You were on the blacklist because it looks like you owed $62 because of Gatorade. <laughs> what, 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 ha what happened there, Kimberly? <laughs> Okay, so it's seven classes a day, seven days a week, right, of fitness classes. You know, there was the power walk, which I, I think I described to you at one point as, you know, the death march through the desert. Yes. And so you have the power walk, then we had a morning stretch class, then we had a morning core, then we had step aerobics in an open air theater when the temperatures outside we're usually starting to creep into the hundreds because in August of Sonora's weather, you know, you're looking at 110, 115 degrees, you know, in the sun, open air theater, aerobics class, then water aerobics, then the, the activity and then the sun dance and then lunch. And then I think I had another activity that I would usually do some sort of a little game like bocce ball. And then I had, another fitness class. I think it was an indoor fitness class. It was like a, a basic floor work type of thing. And then your afternoon sports, whatever that was. So basketball, volleyball. And so I had gotten in the habit of going into the boutique and I drank a lot of Gatorade. I was just constantly needing to replenish. And so I bought so much Gatorade at the boutique that I owed like 62 bucks. I had to give them a credit card before they would hand me my plane ticket. And it was all because of, it's not even like a good reason. Like I know people who they had these amazing fun kind of party times and ended up on the blacklist. I ended up on the blacklist because of Gatorade. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not the best uh, first not season best story. Season. Like, yeah, I was at Carlos and Charlie's. I ran up a towel, yeah. man. Yeah. No, oh, okay. No, no, it was Gatorade. I mean, the thing for me, and maybe you are just more resilient in this way. I couldn't function if I had any sort of a hangover or if, if I was wiped out from being at the disco too late. I mean, I, I actually kind of, brought myself together. I got my act together at Sonora Bay. I was a bit of a hot mess before I got there, but I very quickly learned that when you're starting off the day with the death march through the desert at 7 a.m. and you're ending it at one or two in the morning with rehearsals, A, you need to get your rest while you can, and B, you need to learn how to take power naps wherever you possibly can. So you know, I was 
I, I was really quite straight laced. I think there were only maybe a couple of times that that we went out and had a good time, so to speak. And it was usually if somebody's family was in town and we would go into this little restaurant that was nearby. But even then, there was really only the one time where I think it was a big party and it was like the geo outing to one of the local discotheques. Okay. And then from Sonora, we go work at Columbus Isle and Great. we clearly did not remember each other from Playa because I think I would have remembered saying that to you. But I, yeah, obviously I do remember you from, from Columbus because we had a yeah. good team. Uh, I think Xavier Korn was the chief of village, correct? That's right. That's right. And Xavier and Saber Far, I think, was the chief of sports and Jean-Paul Morales. Yes. The man, the legend. Which, uh, yeah, I wanted to get into because you were, you were <laughs> yes. scuba, scuba gestion, right? Uh, which was right. my first right. position in Club Med, which I, yeah, I did not like at all. But I was happy to have the job, but yeah, I did not like it. Yeah. So how it did was, that happen that you didn't? I, I Oh, okay. I'm, okay. I think I can put it together why you ended up on the scuba team. Okay. <laughs> because. <laughs> yeah. But you well, also I, did, uh, you filled in for the aerobics geo too, right? I believe. I did. So. Byron knows this story well, so hopefully he won't be fussed with me telling it here. When we were leaving Sonora and we put together our lists of where we wanted to go, he and I had conversations about what should we put on the list. And, you know, obviously he was limited to certain villages because only the villages that have dive were, were on his, his kind of list of options. But theoretically, you know, Ellen and Olivier had said, you know, you could ask for scuba gestionary, you could switch over, or you could ask for fitness or land sports again. Although I think they were, they were also a little bit concerned if I'd asked for land sports, because those are, are difficult jobs to get. I was pretty lucky to have it at Sonora. And so Byron and I had talked about what villages we would put, and we had agreed on the three villages and in what order we would put them. But I wasn't entirely sure that I wanted to go to those villages. They were quite tranquil. They were all couples villages. And I also wasn't sure that I wanted to stay together and go to a new village and couple. So unbeknownst to him at the time, I actually put down different villages than he did. And the only one that we had in common was Columbus Isle. And I had put that as my third choice. So I had put, I think Martinique, and Estapa, and then I put Columbus Isle. And so when we got the call together, which I probably took as, as not a great sign, the fact that we got the call together, saying that we were going to Columbus Isle, I felt kind of a little bit physically ill, but it turned out okay. I was Scoogestion. It was a phenomenal team. And like I said, I got to work with with the living legend, Jean-Paul Morales, and a whole host of other amazing geos. So it just was a, a much quieter village than I think I was hoping for. Yeah, for those, those of you who have never worked with Jean-Paul, are you able to describe him? Or, I mean, he did like animals. So I was curious, like, since you were with him most of the day, what did he, mm -hmm. what did he do that you laughed at or whatever, whatever you can offer? <laughs> he was just honestly one of the biggest personalities and one of the kindest people I've ever met. He also was a shockingly good manager as far as leading the team, managing the people dynamics of one of the, the few money-making activities in the village at the time. And he was quite good at keeping the books, right? I mean, he was remarkably good at his job, but what I remember most about Jump Ball, he just, everything was an opportunity for fun and to make things interesting, even complaints from GMs. We did not have a lot of complaints, but I remember one time a guest was dissatisfied with the quantity of fish that they were seeing, which obviously we do not control. We have zero control over the fish, right? We go where we think they're going to be, but if they're not there, it's not like we can tell them to come. And so this guest was very disappointed. And so what Jean-Paul did was he gathered up as many little plastic or toy fish as he could find. He put them into a bucket. He took them out on the dive boat. And after this guest descended and was kind of waiting on the bottom with his group, Jean-Paul then proceeded to dump 
buckets and buckets of little plastic fish over top of them. And of course we had to go and pick them up because we couldn't leave them to the sea, but you know, he wanted to see fish. He saw fish. And so that was, that was just amazing. He set up a Christmas tree underwater. He would wear costumes underwater. And then even when we had the thinking of the angel ray, I don't know whether you were there when that happened, yes. but when the angel ray broke its mooring and ended up on the rocks, you know, even that potential disaster, he kept such a positive attitude and managed the team and the operation, which was essentially the entire dive team. I think we pulled the sailing geos, the snorkeling team to, unload all of the tanks from the angel ray while the other two boats the stingray and i think it was the manta held it in position to get all of the the tanks off because they were completely full they were weighing the boat down they're causing it to go underwater to get all of that off and then to take it to dry dock to be repaired i mean he just he handled the operation with complete grace and good cheer while also recognizing that basically this, you know, half a million dollar boat that we needed was going to be out of commission. And how are we going to handle that? I mean, I was on the shore. My task was to direct traffic for the guests who had questions. And, you know, it, it was really almost disappointing how many people watching this happen, seeing this happen, would come up to me and say, you know, are, are we going to dive today? Are, are we going to go out? And I was like, if you wait five minutes, you can dive a wreck, back off, like leave them alone. And so, you know, we were able to, to navigate that pretty well, but John Paul was just amazing. And just seriously, the kindest person ever. When I was ready to go from the village, you know, it was, it was time for me to leave. You know, he and I had probably a good two hour conversation and he is one of the reasons why even today I, I would go back to Club Med in a heartbeat, you know, because of people like Jean-Paul. Yeah, oh my gosh, I, I'm getting verklempt thinking about okay. it. Like, <laughs> no, no I, I know what you mean, because if you, yeah, if you don't, if you're not on the scuba team, because Jean-Claude, he could, he could have been the animator, he could have been chief animation, you see oh, him yeah. on stage, you're like, there's no way this guy's a good manager, he's too goofy, but, you know, but yeah. then, but he is, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, he really and, was. And he was just amazing with the guests. He was, you know, yeah. everybody top to bottom. There wasn't, I don't know. I can't imagine. I have a really hard time imagining that anybody who dealt with him would have a negative experience with him. I think maybe the only person who might kind of have a complaint would have been Saber, mostly because they just had this ongoing battle of the radios throughout the entire season <laughs> where Jean-Paul would, kind of ping him on the radio mostly just to to mess with him or or give him a one-liner and that was the whole purpose so poor Saber had to periodically answer Jean-Paul's radio calls only to be kind of yanked out for no reason yeah right? well yeah we all but we all teased because I, I, yeah. I did Columbus my first season 96 and Saber was was tennis and of course I remember I remember telling you the best uh, nickname given to Saber was by the uh, French Canadian boutique Gio Isabel, who'd called him Sabernac, which yeah, just floored me whenever, whenever she called him that. And jest, of course, it was all love, yeah, you know, but it was the most hilarious nickname I've ever heard. Okay. Well, Isabel was wonderful. I remember her. And when she spoke in French, I still have trouble with the Quebecois accent. Yes. But, you know, she was lovely. I liked her a lot. Was there anyone else that uh, stood out for you that season that you recall? Because uh, we, we were there. Well, I was there a year. I think you were close to a year there, no? Yeah, actually, we just saw Bunky last summer. Oh, my God, Bunky. <gasps> yeah, so he married a GM. Bunky. I, you might remember that there was a, a woman named Julia who came. She, was, she ended up diving with us, but her luggage was lost. And Bunky, I think, might have been on the arrivals team to help her come into the village. I don't know the story exactly, but I know that he bonded with her during her trying to get, you know, clothing because her luggage was completely gone and he ended up marrying her and they have wonderful children. They live in Germany now and they happened to be in Canada last summer. And so we all got together. We sat in the backyard and chatted for several hours, just amazing people. So Bunky's awesome. He actually has the same name 
his real name is Byron. Yes. Okay. And, yes. Yes. This is why I, I'll tell you how I remember him. I, I, to this day, when I watch Dazed and Confused, the amazing movie, you know, Richard Linklater, <laughs> yeah. Matthew McConaughey, Bunky did the most hysterical imitation of Matthew McConaughey. It's when Matthew McConaughey pops the hood of his car and he's showing it to another guy, and he, but he calls his car Melba Toast. And he, he, as soon as he he was doing imitation, he calls it Melba Toast. He, he even himself could not stop laughing. Like he could barely get through the imitation. This is why I remember Bunky. Oh my God, I forgot that yeah. that was his name, his nickname. Yeah, oh Bunky was, was awesome. And I remember when Bunky arrived because we got this message that said that a geo named Byron from Canada was set to arrive. And, you know, I remember saying, but Byron from Canada, the scuba geo is already here because <laughs> my Byron was already here. And they said, well, no, this is, you know, Byron, you know, and, and his birthday is whatever. And we we're like, no, no, you're off by like two days. So Bunky, and Byron and I are all within a matter of days of each other for our birthdays. And so it wasn't until Bunky actually showed up and said, actually, you can call me Bunky. That's been my nickname since I was a kid that we realized that there were actually two Byrons from Canada born in August of the same year who were going to be geos together. And yeah. you never mistakenly got the two confused, right? Because they know for, okay. No, dang it. No, I didn't. <laughs> and then, um, you know, like the whole dive team was just amazing, but I also got quite close with Candace because Candace was the fitness instructor. And in order to give her days off or time away from it, I would cover her classes. And so, you know, I remember covering her class, uh, the first time I covered one of her classes, it was a water aerobics class, which is like my favorite class to teach. And a a GM broke her toe in my class <laughs> and in the pool. I don't know what she did, but she kind of, you know, tripped and hit the the bottom in a really weird way. She broke her toe. And then I covered Candace after she had to leave urgently. She tore her Achilles tendon. And so while we waited for a new fitness instructor, I did scuba gestion and I was the fitness instructor for about two weeks while we waited for a new, new replacement. Wow. Yeah. Awesome story. Drama, right? Who knew? <laughs> Drama on the high seas. Yeah. And then we had, we had just a lot of other like weird little things happen. Like there was a, a week or maybe it was a week or two where the boat couldn't come in. I don't know if you remember that when the boat with the propane and the food couldn't yes. come in yeah. and we all got cold showers so that the GMs could have warm showers. And we basically ate cold cuts for cold cuts and seafood. And I actually don't eat seafood at all. And so seafood nights were always my nightmare nights. I hated those nights. I would eat bread and dessert and that was it. So I remember that too from Columbus. All right. And when you left Columbus Isle, you go to Red Sail Sports. You get your scuba certification to be a scuba instructor. Now you did write something that is hilarious because I, I, I for some reason, I watch videos of this. I know I'm not supposed to laugh, but you said your favorite pastime at Red Sail was watching tourists. Uh, <laughs> Miss the cruise, Mr. Cruise ship, correct? Oh my gosh. That was the best part. Seriously. This is in Ca Ca Cayman. Sorry. We're in Cayman Islands right now, right? Yes. It was on okay. Grand Cayman, which okay. at the time had, you know, upwards of, you know, 12 cruise ships a day coming into port and Red Sail was right on Seven Mile Beach. We had three locations. There was one at the Westin up by Governor's Beach. There was the Hyatt, which was where I was. And then there was the Marriott and the Hyatt beach was one of the nicest beaches. It was close to the closer to the docks. And so we had a lot of cruise ship passengers and I know it's so mean to say, but I loved, you know, the end of the day, you would see these people sunburnt, maybe a little bit toasty from having too many cocktails on the beach. And you would see the, the ships start to pull away and you could see it on their faces that moment of recognition of that looks like our ship. Oh my God, that is our ship. Oh my God, <laughs> frantic packing up of the stuff. And they would inevitably come running up to us and say, 
that's our ship. That's our ship. How do we, we need a cab. We need a cab. And I would say, you know, go get cab out by the, the hotel. You got to go down to the dock. I'll radio Port Authority and I would radio. It was almost a daily occurrence, right? You, okay. You now, would... well, I just got one one question now because mm-hmm. uh, you saw this so many times. On average, how quick did the couples turn on each other and like blame the other one? Did that happen a oh, lot? Oh, it was not? instantaneous. There, okay. The bickering started <laughs> literally in nanoseconds. Well, you were supposed to. And it, okay. it always started with you were supposed to. Okay. Do something, but the the you know you know like it, once the ship hits international waters, there's nothing they can do. So right. it really was a race, and there were people who, by the time they figured it out, the boat was too far out, and ha- they would have to fly to the next island, which of course they have to do at their own expense. But you know, it's it was just kind of fun because cruise ship passengers, they're integral to the economy of the island, but they're not always the best guests. And it, it almost felt like the more obnoxious they were, the more likely they were to miss their boat. So it felt like a little bit of universal or cosmic payback, quite frankly. So. <laughs> All right. Now, um, okay, I'm gonna briefly leave Cayman, so just stick with me here. Mm-hmm. Okay, you decided to go to school, you wanted to go for medicine, but it turns out uh, organic chemistry did not agree with you. Now, here's no. my favorite part. Can you please tell everyone why, and hopefully your brother, if he listens to it, is okay with you saying this. <laughs> why Why did you go to law school? <laughs> oh, Eric knows this. I, I okay. said it to him. Um, so, yeah, I, I wanted to go to med school. Ochem and I do not get along. And then I didn't know what to do. And as I was trying to figure it out, I was looking around at what other people were doing. And my brother was in law school at the time. He had a similar gap in between undergrad and law. He's actually three years older than I am. And so my brother was in law school and he was telling me all about his classes. It sounded really interesting. It sounded like it was intellectually challenging. And I figured, well, I'm smarter than he is. So (laughs) if he can get into law school, I mean, I can get into law school. And so that really was my driving force I didn't really know what I wanted to do if I wasn't going to be a doctor. I didn't know another viable opportunity. So I figured I'll apply. And so I took the LSAT, um, ended up going to Keys Western in Cleveland. Okay. And, and even before and during law school, uh, you told me you were, you were um, an interviewer, a recruiter for Club Med, correct? I was, that's right. Yeah. And you interviewed around 40 to 50 people, mostly in Toronto, but also in Cleveland. That's right. Yeah. So I stayed involved as one of the volunteer interviewers. And so I think the process was that the people would go through the ones who actually followed the correct process, right? Like they would apply and they would have their official interview with the club med recruiter who who were headquartered in Montreal. And then there was this kind of final check step before they made the actual offer where they wanted to have former GOs interview and meet with the person in person to see whether the person would be a good fit, whether they actually were GO character, right? People who could carry on conversations with total strangers in a second cup coffee shop or in the great Canadian bagel store that I used to go to. And so I would get these referrals, I would set up the interview, and then I would provide feedback. And there were only a couple of people that I met in person, where I, I went back and I said, you know, I just, they, they were really hard to talk to. They weren't very outgoing. And it wasn't that you had to be super outgoing, but you had to be able to carry on a conversation, right? And, and the other thing, you couldn't be nasty to service people. So there was one person that I remember who was difficult to speak to. She was actually quite arrogant and obnoxious, but the final nail in the coffin for me was we were at great Canadian bagel. And I think that they made her bagel wrong. I don't, I don't know what it was, but she laid into the person behind the counter and you know, I basically just fed that back in and and she did not get a job offer as I think maybe as a result of that. And then she reached out and she was sending me emails and she was 
calling me and, you know, you ruined my chances. I can't believe you did that. I'm going to sue you and all of this. And I was just like, see, this right here is the problem. This is like what you're doing right here is oh. exactly why you did not get the job. She sounded very litigious there. Okay. She did. I, and you know, <laughs> there's nothing that she could have done even then, yeah. but I just, yeah. Okay. Speaking of litigious. So you graduate second in your class. Now let's shoot me straight here, Kimberly. How, mm-hmm. how easy or hard is the bar? Could someone like me, a current English literature student pass the bar? Yeah. Not, well, right? I mean, you have to do the work to learn the actual law. Um, but the bars are different, right? So I took the Ohio bar exam coming out of my JD originally, and it's a very different exam than the Ontario bar. So in the US where there are lots and lots of law schools and there are lots and lots of law school graduates, the bar exam serves as a pretty strong filter to the practice. And so the pass rates are much lower because the exam is much harder it tends to be essay formatted, it is very long, it's ruling, and then there are other multi-state and ethics components to it that are multiple choice and things like that. So it's a bit more of a hurdle in the States. But in Ontario, where there are far fewer law schools and there are far fewer law school graduates, law, getting into law school is the big filter. And so the bar exam for Ontario was different. It was, I would say, more navigable. I won't say it's easier, but once you know what the test is, it it's easy to design a strategy against it because you it's open book and you can tab up your materials and all of this. But before I could take Ontario, I had to take five law school equivalency exams. And that was quite stressful because I was doing that while I was working full time and, and kind of quasi single parenting because Byron and I have had a split household for the last several years while we've been here in Canada. So... I have uh, one more question, then and then we'll move back to Club Med, okay? Mm-hmm. So what's it like when you go on stage and uh, they're presenting you a degree and they say your name and then summa cum laude? That must have been like all that effort, all that hard work must have just paid off in that moment, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I honestly, like I did bust my buns to get summa. After my first year in law school, I think my ranking was seventh in the class then after my second year it was fifth and then and then I got up to second I knew I wasn't going to beat John Harrington the person who graduated ahead of me he had almost a 4.0 but I finished with a 3.91 and it was a lot of effort it was a lot of stress and anxiety but it was well worth it I had amazing professors who guided me through everything and Law school, like life, is all about figuring out what game you're playing, right? And once I understood that, and luckily, because my brother was a few years ahead of me in the practice and in in his education, I had that insight. Once I figured that out, that it's just a matter of figuring out what kind of a game of chess you're playing and then how to play that game. It was strategically, it was, it was easier for me. And then I would just design how I took each class and how I tested for each class and prepared for the exams against that. But it was amazing. My parents were there. I think my brother came for that. I do wish that summa cum laude was written bigger on my degree though. Like I was, <laughs> yes. I, they, they made this big deal about how people who graduated with honors, you'll, you'll get your paper diploma separately because we have to do this special printing to add it on. And I got it and I looked at it and I was like, they forgot to put it on there. But no, it's just in like a nine point font. It's super small. <laughs> Helvetica? Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's like, it was like a white on white print. It was super tiny, but it's oh, there. So I'm good. Awesome. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. You don't, you don't need to hear this from me, but I'm still very proud of you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Well, yeah, it was, I wouldn't have done as well in law school if I had not had Club Med and if I hadn't had that time in between. And I still maintain to this day that one of the reasons why I am reasonably successful in the practice of law and in my company is because I had the experience at Club Med and the ability to talk to people and find ways to explain to them in their own language and in words they they kind of latch onto. Um, I think that that's been very helpful. Plus I just have a very high tolerance for BS, having worked in hospitality, right? Yeah. I, I have a pretty high, threshold for for abuse 
Well, besides the names we've mentioned already, like I don't want to leave anyone out. Is there anyone else that you enjoyed working with either at Sonora or, or Columbus? Uh, yeah, I, so I'm actually, I'm still in touch with Sergio, who was one of the bar geos at Sonora. He, he used to, when I would walk past the bar to go to whatever the event that I had, he would just shout out, and even now, like on Facebook, he will periodically, you know, e shout that at me. And um, so I just, I love him. I love seeing what he's doing. He also lives over in Germany. And I, you know, I've kept in touch with a lot of different people. Andy Reed, who was one of my roommates, he's out in California. I, I don't know, Sailor and Gilles and Neil, and then Ray behind the bar. She was, we used to call her the laziest stalker ever because every time I walked past her, she would ask where I was going. And I'm like, why do you need to know that? She's like, I just, I just want to know where you're going, you know, stalker, but you know, a lazy <laughs> one. So it got to the point where I would just tell her, okay, I'm going over to the beach or I'm going over to this or that. Um, no, it's just phenomenal team from Sonora. And, and I still think Alan is just the master of being a, a chief of village. You know, he was laid back. He was, kind he was he was also funny like I remember in the in the meetings our geo meeting he would say if you do not love the life of a geo you can go home to your slippers and your television and we would think like wow slippers and television that sounds kind of amazing but <laughs> yeah. at the same time like I did love the life of a geo right like I, it was it was a great time in my life it was the right time to do it it set me up for success in ways that I don't think anybody would have expected. Honestly, my mother, again, who was almost always right, so I have to give her credit on this, you know, she was baffled when I went to law school. And I think she was quite surprised when I did well in law school and then actually became a lawyer. Because I think up until the moment, you know, uh, up until when she died in, in 2016, if you were to put me being a lawyer next to me being a GO, she would have said that the thing that made more sense to her for me was working at Club Med as a geo, right? Like I think personality wise, it just fits and it gave me the opportunity to flourish. So yeah, no, and I, I have to say, I, I enjoyed working with you. So here's what I remember about you from Columbus Isle. Oh, um, you do? Greg. You do? I do okay. remember you. Okay. I, Cause you were the bike geo when I got there. My first season there, yes. Yeah, then I switched and to snark snorkeling, yeah. So what I remember about you was that you had to carry a stick while you rode the bike. Oh my God, you remember this? Okay. So, because I, I don't know if I mentioned, like I love beach dogs. The Cayman beach dogs are, were my, one of my favorite features of the island. And we had beach dogs in Mexico who were wonderful. And I remember being vaguely excited about meeting the beach dogs of San Salvador, but they were not nice dogs. And I remembered that I stayed away from them because I had heard that you had to ride with a stick to keep the dogs from chasing you and the GMs who were going on bike tour. Yes. Yes. It was on. Yeah. We were on the road. It was always past a certain place, even though I knew where they were, they were always hiding. They always seem to know when to come out. I don't, <laughs> but I don't know if I ever told you there was, I never, I never hit, hit the dog. I just showed it to him. But at one point they got me, I was exhausted. They outsprinted me and I stopped and I said, okay, here I am. Attack me. And they just stopped dead. So they were just chasing me because they love to chase people on bikes. The moment I stopped, they stopped. I'm like, are you yeah. kidding me? That's all I had to do. <laughs> oh, just stop. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. But I, I do remember that. And I remember you being there and yeah. Well, I was always at the C center work. Like Hansel was always putting me through the most grueling workout of my life. So I was always at the C center, you know, doing like a quick 20 minute workout with him, which was like torture, but yeah. Yeah. I, uh, the C center. And I would see you at the C center. Great location. No, it was, it was a wonderful yeah. location. That whole area, that whole village is just exquisite. Beautiful. Oh yeah. Hopefully I'll go back sometime. Yeah. I'd like to go back because John, John Paul is still there. You know, he's running like, yeah, they outsource diving now, but yeah, he's, mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's there. Good for him. Yeah. Every now and again, I see something on there where he says, you know, we need a scuba geo for a week or two um, or somebody to come down and dive for a week or two. And it's very tempting. It's yeah. very tempting. Mostly <laughs> I want to send Byron, right? Because I mean, Byron was 
always a, a dive geo. I was never a dive geo because I didn't get my instructors until after. But real life gets in the way, unfortunately. Yes. Uh, have you uh, give time to think about what what it is you miss about Club Med, or is it was it when I asked you that was it like hmm, let me think about that, or you already knew the answer? No, I think I know the answer. I I think you know, firstly, the fact that I could not wear shoes all day every day, um, except for when I was doing my job, right? Like. I, I hate wearing shoes even now, like that's the first thing to come off. And I know that sounds really silly and trivial, but it's representative of living in the islands or living down south, right? To me, you know, is the ability to just go barefoot and be a little bit more physically connected to the earth. And I miss meeting people from all over the world. Although I'm lucky at my current company, it's a very international company. So I get to meet people from all over, but I do miss meeting people in their most joyful moments and and giving them a good time, right? Showing them what it's like to live a geo or club med lifestyle and just the camaraderie of the team. Again, I'm very fortunate with my team at P&G, but those are the things that I miss. And quite frankly, I loved performing the shows. So I, anytime somebody at work now gives me the opportunity to step on stage and hands me a microphone, I'm like, oh, you probably shouldn't have done that because, <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't, you understand. It's funny because people now, like when they find out that I worked at Club Med and some people know going in, other people, they find out after they've interacted with me, there's this, there's this, look on their face that they get where they're like, oh, okay, now it makes sense. Now I get you. Like, because <laughs> yeah. <it's>, <laughs> like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, obviously you worked at Club Med, surely, you know. So yeah, that's what I miss. The last piece of the puzzle falls into place. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Oh, one last thing, uh, Kimberly, if anyone is listening who's thinking about applying to Club Med, you think they should do it? Oh my gosh, absolutely, yes. I think this was one of the best things that I've done in my entire life. And having been back to a club med since leaving, I know that the geos who are there now are just as phenomenal as the geos who were there when I was there in the late nineties, absolutely 1000% you should apply and you should probably follow the process. <laughs> there's, okay. there's a, a clear articulation <laughs> of the process. Yeah. You should probably follow the process. But who knows, it can't hurt to send a message in, but you will not regret working at Club Med. You just won't. You'll make some of the best friends you'll ever make. You'll eat amazing food. You'll go to beautiful places and experience a culture and a lifestyle that just cannot be replicated. And it has not been replicated, even though many uh, and all-inclusive has tried. The thing that distinguishes Club Med from other all-inclusives and even from the cruise ships is the geos. And to be part of that experience, to be part of giving people some of the best experiences of their lives where they're spending their hard-earned money to go and visit in a place where, again, anybody can go to Cancun, anybody can go to the Bahamas, but to go to Club Med, they're going for the geos. And to be part of that, you will not regret it. Wow. Very well said. Very well put. Thank you. And uh, yeah, and a bit huge thank you for taking the time to share your story with us. This has been awesome, no. Kimberly. Thank you for having me. And to everybody that I worked with back in the day, and whether I'm still in touch with you or not, I love the experience. I hope you're all doing well. I hope you're all happy. And I don't know, just keep on keeping on. Life as it should be, right? That's right. Exactly. <laughs> the antidote to civilization. Love that. Indeed it is. Indeed. <laughs> well, everyone, that was the amazing Kimberly Eberwine. And we really do want to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And here's the part where we thank our listeners. Oh, thank you for listening. And listen to all of the episodes. You'll hear about some really cool people. And they all have great stories. So check out the podcast, listen to every single episode and tell your friends. Nice plug. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> I will see you all next week, everyone. Bye.